Last week as we gathered, many of you came forward and put names on our prayer wall. I've had to explain to a few people who weren't here this last week what the, uh, what the prayer wall is. We asked you to come and put the names of people that, that needed salvation. People in, in your life that, that you know need to know Jesus. We do a wonderful job, and we did again today, of praying for the physical needs of our friends and our loved ones and, and people that we know. We pray when someone needs healing. We pray when someone's in pain. When someone needs, a, needs to recover from some difficulty, we pray for them. But how often do we pray for their eternal needs? How often do we pray for their salvation? And so last week we committed to praying for eternal needs. Every name on this wall is someone who does not yet know Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, but desperately needs to know them. And as you look at the names, there are some names here that are, are your friends and your family members. They're people that you absolutely love on this wall. There are some people on this wall that you, that you know and, and, and you care about and, and you care about their eternity. There are also names of people on this wall that some of you cannot stand. And I know that because I recognize the names. And I know the stories. And I've heard you tell the stories. And I think it is an amazing... I just Last week, I came in every day this week we had the center lights on over the prayer wall, and I would just come in here with everything else, all the other lights off, everything's dark except the, the prayer wall was lit up, and I would just come in and pray in front of those names. Every day, came in and prayed over those names, and, and there's a few times I was close to tears because I realized there are people that drive you absolutely nuts on this wall. There are people that you, you can't stand to spend five minutes with some of the people on this wall, and yet you want to spend eternity with them. You, you've caught what redemption is all about. You, you've caught what it means to, uh, to, to be redeemed by Jesus and have those relationships redeemed. And I, I thank you so much for, for putting those names on that wall and calling us to pray. We lived in, in Oakland several years ago, and we had a neighbor move in. His name was Jim. And uh, Jim was kind of a rough character. He was, he was a little different. He's a great guy. He would come over on, on Easter Sunday he would go, come over early in the morning and hide eggs in our yard, and, and Megan would have to go out and, and find those eggs. But Jim was kind of rough. He was, on, he was on disability. Jim somehow managed to keep a cigarette burning pretty much all the time. I, I've never seen anyone keep one burning that long, and, and I, I don't think Jim thought there was anything wrong with having a beer at 9 a.m., and if that's your thing, then, then enjoy. Uh, Jim was on disability. His wife worked really hard, and I had this, I had this beautiful porch at our house in Oakland. And in the evenings, I, I would love to go out and, and everything was dark and beautiful and I'd, I'd just sit there in the dark and pray and enjoy my porch. Jim's wife worked long hours and, and he wanted to make sure she could make it home safe. So he had, a, he had the brightest security light I've ever seen installed right over, the, right over his driveway and I could read out there on the porch at night because that light was so bright. It was, it was just, just lit up the place. Jim had a, had a, a wonderful heart. He was, just, he was a good neighbor, a good friend. I remember he came over one day and we were talking and he noticed that on the window there in my, in my front door, there was a picture of a lighthouse. And, uh, and Jim asked me, what's, what, was the, what was the lighthouse for? I said, well, that's a, a commitment we've made in our church. Our, our church is committed to being lighthouses of prayers in our neighborhood. And so that lighthouse sticker means that I have committed to praying for all my neighbors. And I said, Jim, I pray for you every day. 
And he, he kind of straightened up. He said, well, 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 thanks. And then he left. He came back the, the next day, and he was, he was kind of uncharacteristically quiet when he came back. And we talked for a little bit, and he said, you know, I, I got to thinking about what you told me yesterday. And I had to think about what he was meaning. He, he was talking about me telling him that I prayed for him. So I got to thinking about what you told me yesterday, and he said, no one has ever done that for me before. He said, no one has ever prayed for me before. Now, let me just stop for a second and ask you, show of hands, how many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt someone has prayed for you? Can you raise your hand if you know someone has prayed for you? You know, Connor, raise your hand. Everybody's hand ought to be up because I know someone has prayed for you. Yeah, that's right, buddy. Every, every one of us knows the benefit. Every one of us knows the blessing of having someone pray for them. Could you imagine going your whole life and never knowing that someone has prayed for you? And yet Jim had never experienced that. He had never known that, that blessing before. Last week we looked at Acts chapter 1. Jesus commanded His disciples, His followers, to stay in Jerusalem. He said, stay and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they stayed in Jerusalem, they waited, and while they waited, they, 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 they gave themselves to prayer. They waited and they prayed. And he said, after you've waited, after you've prayed, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That is, the, the people that are closest to them will know that you are a follower of mine. You will be my witnesses in Judea. The people out there on the fringe the people on the edges of where you go, and even into Samaria, the people that no one else wants, and some of them are on this wall, they will know that you are my disciples. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And after, as, we, as we pray, God expects us to do something. He expects us to be witnesses. He expects that our neighbors would know Jesus through knowing us. And really what it comes down to is this. Who could reach your neighbors better than you? Who could reach the people closest to you better than you? And I think that's really what's at the heart of what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 10. Again, Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 15 is what we're looking at today. Again, it's page 946. You know, you and I came to this wall last week and we we put names on it. We put the names of people that we desperately want to see come to know Jesus as their Savior. And I want you to listen to Paul as he pours out his deepest prayer for those that he loves the most. He begins in, in Romans 10, verse 1. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they do not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now there's a lot of stuff in those four verses, and it's kind of confusing. So let's just begin with, with the simple stuff. Who is the them? Who is the them that he mentions there in, in verse 1? Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. The them that Paul is praying for are his fellow Jews. Paul was Jewish. That was his 
cultural identity. But beyond just being his heritage, that was his crowd. That, that was his family. That was, that was his friends. That was his neighbors. That was the people that he, that he grew up with. And his heart's desire, his prayer, was that he wanted to see his friends in heaven just as you want to see your friends in heaven. You have people in your life who you know better than anyone else. People that you love. People that you understand. <laughs> and they may be messed up, but you understand their messes. They may be far from God, but they are not far from you. Who's going to know how to pray for them better than you? Who's going to know how to reach them better than you? Paul says of, of his Jewish brothers and sisters in verse 2, he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. He says, I know these people. I know what they're passionate about. I know what they think. And I know where they're wrong. And I have the ability to call them on it. Can you say that about your friends? Do you know where your friends are wrong? Can you call them on it? Can they call you on it when you, when you screw up, when, when, you, when you're wrong also? Uh, then who do you suppose God has placed in their lives to tell them about Jesus? Paul's writing from his heart here. He's writing from his heart, and he, and he simply expresses his desire to see the people closest to him come to Christ. And, and you want that also. You want the people closest to you to come to Christ. And while the thought of sharing your faith with those people closest to you seems scary, there's one thing you have to realize. Your relationship with them actually makes the message simpler. It's easier because you're in relationship with them. Now, this morning you saw that video of the Odals in Ghana. I have known Jared for years, probably better than two decades. We work together. We're, we, we've been friends forever. He's been one of my, my closest and, and most trusted friends. I, I've gone out for lunch with, with lunch with Jared, Nana. We, we've done all kinds of things together. I have to tell you something. I have never seen him wear that shirt before. I've never seen him dress like that. And yet, when I look at what, what Anna posts on Facebook, she posts a lot of pictures of Jared and the kids. Every picture, he's wearing a shirt like that. Every picture, they're, they're, they're dressed in, in African garb. I've never seen them do that before. They've had to learn to adapt to the culture of Ghana. That means adapting to the clothing. That means adapting to the food. That means adapting to the customs. That means adapting to the heat. Adapting to the housing. Jared and Anna woke up about one morning about two months ago. In fact, it was Jared's birthday. What a great way to start your birthday. They woke up and they had heard a noise. They walked into their bathroom. They live in a concrete home with a flat roof. They walked into the bathroom and the entire roof over the bathroom had fallen in. They had a sunroof right there. They could look up while they're going to the bathroom and just see the whole, see the whole world. Jared said, it's, it's lucky I only have a birthday once a year because I'd bring the whole house down if I did this more. But the, the, the roof caved in. They, they've had to adapt to that lifestyle. They've had to adapt to what goes on there. But their goal is to empower the people of Ghana to take care of themselves. They don't want to spend the rest of their lives there as missionaries. They want to live there for a while, establish a church, establish a business, and leave a thriving community of faith when they finally leave Ghana. Now, it seems part of our nature to complicate things. We try to make things more difficult. 
the message of Christ, as you share it with the people that you know the best, it doesn't need complicating. There's no reason for us to, to complicate the message of Christ. And that's what Paul realizes as he, as he goes on in verse 5. He says, for Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up. Okay, that's, that's a lot of confusing stuff. Let me just make it easier on you. What he's saying is, he's asking the question, can you, by your power, by, by your own energy, by your own effort, can you go into heaven and bring Jesus down to be your Savior? Can you do that? The answer is, no, right. Very good. You guys, you're, you're following. Okay. Okay, so, so then the second question is this. Could you, by your own power, by your own effort, could you descend into the grave and resurrect Christ by your own power so that He could be your Savior? And again, the answer is... The answer is a resounding... Say you did good. That's very good. You know you can't do that. But the fact is, we live like we have to. Way too often, we live like we've got to be good enough for God to notice us. If we're not good enough, God won't save us. If we're not good enough, if we're not strong enough, if we don't do all the right things, God won't love us and He won't save us. And we've got to be good enough to get His attention. And, and Paul says that's not the righteousness of faith. That's not how it's done. That's not why Jesus came. You cannot do this by your own power, by your own energy. It, it just doesn't work that way. He goes on in verse 8. And he says, but, but what does the Word say? The Word is near you. It is in your mouth, it is in your heart, that is the, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on everyone who calls on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Does that sound like it's my effort? Does that sound like I've got to earn it? Does that sound like I've got to work for it? No, that's, that's not the righteousness that comes by faith. We complicate things. We complicate things and we worry. And we say, well, what if, what if I tell my friends about Jesus and they have questions that I can't answer? What if, what if they have questions I, I can't answer? What do I say? That's, that's never been the point. The point is, these are your friends. Just, just love them. I have a friend that preaches at a, a church down in Tennessee. And that church has doubled in size in about the last three years or so. They, they were running about about 300 three years ago, and they're running a little over 600 now. And, and it's, it's finally starting to catch people's attention. They're wondering, what are you doing? And so people have been asking Patrick, what, what's the plan? What program are you following that's caused your church to grow? And Patrick repeatedly says, we love people. We love them until they follow us home. We love them until they ask us why. And people say, okay, what program do you love them with? <laughs> it's not about a program. It's about, it's about taking the Word of God seriously and, and just, just loving 
people. And that's Paul's point here. He says the word is close to you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. Love them. Tell them you love them. Love them with your heart. Tell them that you love them. What else do you need to know? He's saying your friends already know that you're a Christian. They, They already know that you love them and that they're important to you. So share what's in your heart. Love them until they ask you why. And then tell them about Jesus. You think about the people you put on this, this prayer board, this prayer wall. You think about the people whose names are on the prayer wall. You think about the lost people you know and, and the lost people who know you. How many of those people talk to you about their deepest needs? How many of them talk to you about their struggles and their, and their troubles? How many of them talk to you about the things that make them happy? How many of them talk to you about the things that, that, that bring them joy? You think for a moment, who, better, who is better qualified to share Jesus with them? And I don't mean qualified in the terms of educated or, or, or that you know all the secret plans. Who else is qualified by, by being their friend to tell them? You see, you are God's missionary. You are God's missionary to your friends. And I know what some of you are thinking. Ooh, I can't do that. Because they know me. And they know what kind of person I really am. They, they know my struggles. And they know the exact places where I'm a hypocrite. Good. <laughs> because they already know that, that Christians aren't perfect. They already you've let them see your flaws. They know that Christians are, are real people. They know we have real problems. They, they know we're not just here with some plastic fake smile pasted on our face telling everybody how wonderful Jesus is. They know your heart. They know your pains. They know that you're real. Paul calls us to, to look at our friends, to look at those people closest to us and he says there in verses 14 and 15, he says of those people who are, who are closest to you, think about the people you, whose names, you know, not everybody put names on the wall, but there's still names in your heart. There's still people that you love that maybe you couldn't make it up here last week or maybe you weren't here, but there's people in your heart that you would love to see come to Jesus. Think about those people closest to us. Paul says in verse 14, how, how then will they, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And when he says preaching, do not think of me. Think of someone who's just sharing Christ with them. Sharing uh, the love of Jesus with them. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I always get a laugh out of that. Because according... According to the Bible, I have beautiful feet. I think if you were to ask my wife, she would say, keep those beautiful feet away from me. She, she doesn't find, I don't find my feet beautiful. I don't find, you know, I don't think she finds them. She definitely doesn't think they smell beautiful. I know that. It's a quote from the Old Testament. You know, in the, in, back, in, back in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were, were captives in Babylon. They were taken prisoner to Babylon. They were held in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. They, they thought they would never see their home again. They thought they would never be free again. They were in bondage. And then finally, one day, someone comes running over the mountains all the way back to them, telling them that they've been set free, telling them that they get to go home. That guy was bringing good news. He was proclaiming. He was preaching good news. And that guy that told them that they were finally free, he had beautiful feet as far as they were concerned. How beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news. You've got people in your life and they are held in bondage 
They've been in bondage their entire lives. Sin has, has held them captive. Their lives are tied up in this world, what they can get and, and what they can have here, what they can do here. And, and whether they realize it or not, there's no hope in that. There is no promise in that for what comes after this life. You, you have a message to carry to them that is truly good news, that they don't have to live in bondage anymore. You have the potential to have absolutely beautiful feats by sharing that message with them. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. John, John tells the story about Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman. That's one of the people that nobody wants. And he meets this Samaritan woman at the well, and, and, and he starts talking to her, and, and Jesus tells her her most intimate secrets. Jesus tells her what her sin is. Jesus tells her where she's failed. He tells her why she needs forgiveness. And then Jesus did something that he very rarely did. He told her who he was. He told her what he had for her. Do you remember what that woman did? She went back to the village. She went back to her neighbors. She went back to her friends. She went back to the people that she knew best. And she said, come and see this man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? She just went back and told them, come and see this man. I know it's a little scary to talk about witnessing to your friends. And I know, I know you're worried that you're going to say the wrong things, that you can't answer all their questions, or you're going to look dumb if you get something wrong. But I want you to consider this. Do you, do you think you could simply invite them? Just say, come and see. Come, come and see what we do at Kansas Christian Church. Come and see how we love people at Kansas Christian Church. Did you know that every year, on average... 29%, a little better than a quarter, 29% of American atheists, people who have no faith at all, think about the atheists that you know, 29% of American atheists will attend church in the month of December. You know why? Christmas. They love the music. They, they, they love the music. They love the decorations. They, they, love, they love the message. They want to bring their kids to hear what it's all about. They want to be there because their friends are there. 29% of American atheists, people with no faith in anything at all, will be in church in the month of December. Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not. I may have mentioned it. We're decorating for Christmas this afternoon at 4 o'clock. I, I don't know if I mentioned that or not. I don't know if I mentioned that. And starting next week, we're going to be singing those songs that your atheist friends love to hear. Could, could you maybe invite them to come and see? Could you maybe invite them to, to come and hear? 29% of them would love to be here with you. Last week, some of us went up to Peoria for the, uh, for the missions conference, International Conference on Missions. Sue and, and Cindy and Nancy and I went. And after the missions conference, you know what we had to do, right? We had to go eat because that's, that's what I do. And so we got to looking for a place to eat. We found this, this neat little restaurant. Uh, it was a converted Presbyterian church. And it still looked like a church. It had pictures of Jesus in the windows. It had 
seven gold lampstands on, on one of the walls. It had all that stuff and beautiful woodwork. And it was just really, really amazing. And we kind of laughed about it. And we thought, wow, you know, it's, there's a big bar in the middle of this rest or this middle of this church now. It's probably the same crowd that used to come here. You know, they're just here more often. You know, they're, they're coming every week. I don't know. Uh, but I, I got to thinking about it. The food was really, really good. I thought, you know, if we, if we were a restaurant, let's say we weren't a church anymore. Let's say we were a restaurant. And if we had really good food, you'd tell your friends, right? You'd tell your friends, you want a good meal, let me tell you where you go. You, you, want, to, you want something to eat, I'll, I'll tell you where to go. If we were a restaurant, you would, you would tell your friends about us. There's a good chance we're serving something here that your friends are starving for. There's a good chance someone in your life is starving to know Jesus. Love them. The Word is near you. The Word is in your heart. It is, it is in your mouth. Take that Word and just go love your friends. Love them until they follow you home. Let's stand together and pray. Father, I think of those names on our prayer wall. And I think of the names that are in our hearts. Father, how will they call on you if they have not believed? And how will they believe if they've not heard? And how will they hear if we do not tell them? Lord, you've placed us in the lives of people who know us, who love us, who trust us, and they do listen to us. So help us to love them home. Help us to share the love we've known from you as we love them. And when they ask us why, help us to tell them from our mouths and from our hearts. You know, you, you so love those around us that you sent your son, to die for them. Send us now to be friends for them. To your glory, to their salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.